I think the best way to have a discussion like this is to just check on each other and kind of like encourage that behavior with people, you know, just, yeah. if this conversation, if this podcast were to serve as like an example for other conversations, it would just be like, how are you faring and all of this, you know, I don't know. Yeah. No, I think that's a great um, way to start. Yeah. Okay, cool. You want to ask me that? That's, that's cool. Yeah. Hi everyone, I'm Tenoch Aztecatl. I'm Josh McCormack. And this is Salud Talks. Right now, people around the country are joining together and speaking out about systemic racism, police brutality, and the unhealthy culture that passive racism has cultivated here in the U.S. In light of these events, we are aiming to have a different conversation for today's episode. How everyday individuals can act to address these tragedies and the system of which they are a symptom. So before we start this week's episode, we'd like to take a moment to honor the countless people of color who've fallen victim to systematic racism in the United States. So we'll start with 11-year-old Tamir Rice, Brianna Taylor, George Floyd, Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland, Philando Castile, Eric Garner, Pamela Turner, and most recently David McAtee of Louisville, and the endless list of names that have stretched centuries into our nation's history. So it's been and insane couple weeks i didn't think that we would be producing a, another episode on the fly after we had to do multiple now about the coronavirus but with everything going on how are you doing aztec yeah i um i think just as hard as it was even you know before the most recent events in the past week uh it's always really been hard for me to say you know since this pandemic, it's been hard to say how I've been. I think overall I've been doing well, like anyone. Um, but it's important to address that, yeah, I've definitely been feeling a lot of anxiety with everything that's going on, especially with my age, being someone who spends a lot of time on social media. Uh, it's where I get my news, it's where I get my entertainment. Um, and right now is news. And it's a lot of news, and everyone is sharing the news. Um, and, yeah, I think, I just think, yeah, I have a lot of questions right now. Um, I don't know how I felt. Uh, this is kind of a time period where it's kind of sparked up a discussion that I've always wanted to have, yeah. you know? Um, so it's really interesting. I have a lot of emotions going on through my head, kind of like, it's a tragedy. You know, rest in peace to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Um but also they were catalysts in a way um, to spark a discussion that, you know, to honor everyone else who's fallen, frankly, this has sparked a discussion that's unprecedented in American history thus far, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know how best to answer that. And I think we could all probably agree with that, you know, just craziness. But how are, how are you doing in all of this too? And you know, terms of my anxieties and, and feelings of anger is kind of trying to figure out what role do I as a journalist or as a friend, as an ally, do I have to play um, in this? And so I think it's been a lot of um, nights and days thinking about that. But yeah, also, like you were saying, just trying to find different ways to practice mindfulness and finding peace too. I think that the point that you were making about not knowing is is completely okay. I think that one thing that both the pandemic and 
these tragedies have gone to show is that life is kind of this unpredictable thing and you're kind of like stumbling around through the dark until you somewhat are able to try to figure out what your place is in all of this so yeah this is definitely a time for meditation (laughs) yeah i completely agree aztec in this discussion of what's going on and why it's happening and what needs to change i just want to give our listeners a chance to hear the plight as you understand it of what's going on right now yeah i think it's it's a moment just kind of as there as it was in the in the 60s uh, a lot of people kind of call back to 1968 which is the last time you kind of had a situation where there were nationwide protests in every major city in the country um and what immediately followed that and what was occurring at the time was the civil rights movement, you know. Um, and really what these are is it is a culmination. It's a boiling point of people of color, primarily in these situations, African Americans, America's kind of original sin of slavery. And that sin was never absolved. It's built off of the fact that a lot of us are descendants of people who started not just one mile back, but like 20. It would be different if the wrongs kind of stopped right there after slavery. You know, I think that would, I think that's what a lot of people are understanding who may not understand what these protests are about is that after slavery, things went to normal and we just became citizens. Uh, But that isn't the case at all, you know, and uh, it's just sort of an issue since for the past, I'd say 400 years, um, it's been the same story. It, you know, during the time of slavery, of course, there was a lot of wrongdoing. There were a lot of black people killed. And the, the issue now is that it's happening in the same way, and it's been happening in the same way. Um, a lot of people were referring to police brutality in situations where black people are killed and nothing has happened legally. No, no sort of law is imposed on the killer. Uh, they're referring to that as a lynching, and that gets lost with some people because historically we understand lynching as tying a a, a noose around someone and hanging them from a tree. But uh, the act of lynching is to kill someone for no apparent reason and completely get away with it because you're backed by an entire system, you know? Um, And I just think that that, I know that that is what this is. This is a boiling point because it's not, this didn't start with Trayvon Martin in 2013. This didn't start with Tamir Rice. This didn't start with Sandra Bland. And it definitely didn't start with George Floyd. This is something that has happened countless times, and it's happened in the most liberal cities to the most conservative cities, you know? You've had cities like New York City banging into someone's house um, and emptying off shots into an unarmed person, Um, and then it turns out that that was the wrong house. Systematic stop and frisk. Systematic stop and frisk, and and then... Yes, you know, you can understand that's a mistake, just as soldiers overseas make mistakes, right? But when no penalty is paid, uh, that's, that's when you have a problem. Um, and I just think that that's exactly what's going on right now. I think people are seeing this as, this is ridiculous. Obviously, it's unfortunate that we have to see a video of someone dying. But sadly, as terrifying as that video was and heartbreaking as that video was, that's only a metaphor. That's only a microcosm for what's been occurring in the country. Um, and I'd just quickly like to address this, this protest. Yes, it's in memory of George Floyd, but it's not only for immediately violent 
systemic oppression. You know, it's it's not only for exactly a police officer killing a black person. It's all of it. You know, Ahmaud Arbery wasn't killed by police officers. And beyond that, I rest in peace to a dear friend of mine, Stephen Anderson, who grew up in Houston's Fifth Ward. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but he died from cancer um, because in Houston's Fifth Ward, there is a cancer cluster there because the railroad company, Union Pacific, I believe, uh, they'd been using a highly toxic chemical just feet away from where a lot of people, the poorest people in Houston, have lived and grown, predominantly black and brown. Um, and, you know, rest in peace to my dear friend who died in a nonviolent, systemic, oppressive way, you know? Um, and if anyone was wondering how that's sort of systemic, it's because uh, he's not the only person who's died. Um, he was a child. He wasn't a child when he passed away, but, you know, he kind of got sick because it was running through the water. And this has all been proven by health officials, you know. It was running through the water that he was showering with, brushing his teeth with. He's a four-year-old child drinking this water, and it's killing him. Um, and Union Pacific has never been sued. They've never been reprimanded. Um, and that is the system, because like you said, in the woodlands, if this were occurring in the woodlands, I am positive that Union Pacific would be struck down with the force of the United States, yeah. you know? Um, and that's and that's the problem, you know, because yeah. we also pay taxes. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering what are the ways that people right now can actively support this movement? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think we both already uh kind of hit this point uh, once, but researching, um, and not researching like, I don't know, you don't need to read, if you, if that's your thing, if you like reading textbooks, fine, you know, you can read large books of this, but just kind of asking questions, um, and, you know, sometimes, yes, sometimes there are some questions you shouldn't ask someone, because, you know, frankly, for me, if, I don't know, if someone like messaged me as a black person, my, if a, a lighter colored friend messaged me and said, hey man, can you like, can you, can you like give me like a list of, of ways that I'm like hurting you with my everyday, yeah, that's, you know, you can't, I guess, expect like every, every black person or person of color to like have these answers. Frankly, I, I've always wanted to be the person who like could give these answers out publicly, but yeah, just, that that is one thing to think is your black friend the isn't the expert. Yeah, yeah the internet <laughs> the has internet. has all of these answers. And I would just say, by by researching, it's like you said. I would I would just focus on the why of this. You know, of all times that that things have happened, of all times, if you know, let's say I'm a looter or a robber, of of all times for these things to be occurring, why now? You know, what was the pinnacle? Well, it was that video of George Floyd dying you know for eight minutes that and 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 that is the root of this you know so that I, I think first off that would be it it's just kind of trying to meet where we all can which is at the heart we all can sympathize with tragedy and in any way you know um but i think some some easy first steps would be i would recommend this book um called the color of law i I can't think of a better book, even as a black person who grew up, you know, my mom is very proud of of uh, our black heritage. So I grew up reading a lot of books and 
The Color of Law painted the most informative picture of America's history, the truth of it, you know, the ugly part, the part that we all have kind of tried to avoid looking at. Because I think once you read that book, you'll realize that a lot of things that we all once thought were true are not true at all. Even as a black person, um, I read that book thinking I knew everything that it meant to be black in America. And then after reading that book, I was like, wow, this is a large scale issue that we're all going to have to play a role in kind of changing. On top of, you know, reading that book, um, just kind of researching things, um, I would just say to kind of ask yourself, uh, I, I heard a very, I'm not sure who I heard this from, uh, maybe a lot of people have tried this, uh, but I saw a college professor speaking with their class of, well, predominantly white students, and it was a white professor, I don't remember her name, but she asked her students uh, a series of questions, and then um, she asked them, I believe, if they believed in that they had white privilege and they got a few hands. Um, and then her final question was, okay, how many of you would want to be a black person in the United States? And no one's hand went up, you know? And I think that's the most important part is just to ask yourself, would you want to deal with the things that, you know, African-Americans, people of color in general deal with in the United States and in the world beyond, you know? And then you have to ask yourself, if I don't want to be a black person, why? You know, there, and that's the answer to all of these things that you're seeing today is the why. You have to ask yourself, why wouldn't I want to be black? We'll be right back. Hi, this is Rosalie Aguilar, project coordinator of Salud America. As an organization, our mission is to help create a culture of health equity for Latinos. We work toward this goal through countless hours of research, writing, editing, and producing. If you believe in what we're doing and want to support that work, please consider donating to our cause at salud.to backslash donate. Thank you. Hi, this is Rebecca Jones, Assistant Director of the Institute for Health Promotion Research. Our organization serves as a research powerhouse that fuels Salud America's content. Here at the IHPR, we investigate the current state of health inequities in America and how that impacts the Latino community. Our research investigates cancer, chronic disease, and other health disparities among Latinos in South Texas and beyond. To learn more about the IHPR and our work, visit salud.to backslash IHPR. Thanks. There was a book called Black Like Me, a white man in the, either the 40s or the 60s in the South. He darkened his skin as some, it was like a uh, experiment in a way, um, a crazy experiment. <laughs> but he darkened his skin and he wore a hat and sunglasses and just walked around as a black person for, I'm not sure, the period of time. And he wrote an entire book outlining how depressed and how he contemplated suicide. Because coming from his white privileged background, he couldn't believe the way the people that he's grown up with or, you know, that he would have grown up with are treating someone. It's, it's, it's still him. Yeah. He's just dark now, you know? It's still the same person. He's still got the same loves and wishes, but he's dark and his life is miserable in his, in his sense. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say my life is miserable. I'm very happy, but... Uh, there's obviously a difference. There's obviously a difference. And, you know, I just think that's like the most concrete step that you can take first is to start learning these things. What are some other tangible ways that people can support this cause, no matter what city you live in or your background? I think the most important thing for people to do is 
before they act, before we all act, we need to question what, how, and why. You know, what purpose is this going to serve? How is this going to serve that purpose? And why should I really be doing this? You know, um, for example, sharing videos. I used to share videos of police brutality. Um, and then I kind of realized what is that? That's not my vein. For some people who are social media activists, that absolutely helps. They're spreading the message. But for me, that is not my vein. You know, as a filmmaker, I found that my vein is by researching um, and producing content. You know, so it's, it's kind of like anything. Uh, and a lot of people will recommend that you approach a career the same way, which is how do I mix what I want to do with what I love? You know, and there's absolutely a way for you to do this. Um, and I think that's a pretty vague answer, but it could speak to someone depending on what it is that they do. If you're around someone, if you're a social worker, you can start to understand how your implicit bias could start this butterfly effect of hurting people. And then how reversing that behavior could start this butterfly effect of vastly improving people's lives, you know, especially if you are in a situation where people work with you and they're seeing how you're reacting. Um, but, I mean, on top of that, I think, you know, right now on social media, a lot of conversation is being made around uh, supporting black and uh, people of color owned businesses. Um, and real quick, because I'm a, I'm a root of it person, I, I like to get to the root of an issue um, and explain to someone the root of why they should do something. You know, when you're supporting a black owned business, it's not because you should support black people over white people or black people over non-black Latinos, it's because, you know, by understanding America's history, you understand that a lot of black-owned businesses have, one, been sabotaged from the ground up, or two, uh, they don't exist in a fair financial system. You know, a lot of black people have subprime loans, business loans. Uh, just, you know, off top, you have a much higher interest rate just because of the color of your skin, you know, because that is implicit bias in insurance companies and in large lending corporations and banks, you know, that to give someone a higher interest rate. So you're supporting these black-owned businesses because it's an oppressed community. You're not supporting a black-owned business to spite white-owned businesses, you know, and if you are, that's not what I'm asking someone to do. You know, someone else who may look like me can might say that, but that is not my opinion. I don't think that that's the reason for doing those things. Um, also, signing petitions, um, but most importantly, before I get into that, before signing a petition, thoroughly researching the meaning behind the, the petition, who the petition is being sent to, and who's created the petition. Just as with protests, uh, a lot of activists are asking people to thoroughly investigate who is hosting this protest on a Facebook group, you know, especially nowadays. We're organizing, we're organizing online, you know. It's really hard to tell who someone is that, um, it's really hard to tell who someone is that's organizing this. Um, so, but yeah, signing, signing petitions, you know, we have a lot of petitions going out. Like in New York City, there's a lot of conversation uh, around the state about sort of defunding the police. And a quick one on that, it's not completely defunding police departments. Because uh, while some people want that, I think the vast majority of people don't support that, uh, don't support full defunding. Uh, but a lot of these conversations are about defunding police and siphoning off some of that funding to other things. You know, like here in San Antonio, we don't have a whole lot of parks. 
that are evenly dispersed in every neighborhood. And some areas, you know, like ours here in the historic district of San Antonio, there are, there's an abundance of beautiful parks here. Uh, but where I grew up right outside of SeaWorld, uh, area code, zip code 78251, uh, whatever parks there are, are heavily surveilled by police because it's a pretty low income area and you have a lot of crime there. And so for those of us who grow up wanting to go to a park, um, well, we can't because either we're trying to avoid the crime there or we're trying to avoid being seen as the crime by the police who are surveilling the area. So we don't have a park. Um, and it, that's kind of what a lot of these petitions are saying. Um, and low-income low areas, there are a lot of other ways that $50 million can impact somebody. And I'm sure taking $100 million or $50 million away from a $900 million budget isn't going to harm the public safety too much. Um, that's where, I guess, it gets down to uh, specific facts on that that I don't necessarily have. But, yeah, signing petitions. Um, and a lot of petitions are kind of aimed at spreading awareness. And you can help in a lot of those ways. I actually wanted to ask you some ways that you think it would help. Yeah, um, I think that those who are privileged enough um, should... Um, especially monetarily, donate to certain funds. Again, I think like researching what the groups you're donating to, like what they actually do and what their mission is and where this money is going. Um, you know, there are groups like national bailout funds or other social justice groups in your area. Also, I think that becoming civically engaged is one of the biggest ways. What I think is an interesting conversation is I used to hear a lot in the years past that I don't want to get involved in politics. It doesn't really affect me. My voice doesn't matter. One thing that we've all gotten to see is that politics do affect each and every one of us. The greater civic engagement, the more our elected officials are held accountable. If you're holding your city government responsible for the things that you want as a voter that everyone can agree on, you're going to bet that your mayor is going to have a more tangible response when something like this happens because he knows that the number of people voting are going to vote him out of office if he doesn't handle it in the right way. And, you know, you, you put pressure on those folks rather than letting the politicians speak down to you. It's us speaking down to the politicians because they are our elected officials. And I would say that also um, getting involved in local politics is, is really important. Not overlooking the importance of your judge, your county sheriff, that's an elected official, your mayor, your city manager, the city council that you might have. City All of these is. folks are making decisions that affect us every day. So I think that actually taking dedicated, researched action, those are definitely two. No, and I, and I love that this is kind of, it, it kind of feels like um, a lot of my friends and I, and we were just discussing this, you and I, recent events have allowed us to start looking at our own local governments, right? And just kind of like what our cities are doing and what what's going on in my neighborhood now. And I, I definitely think that that is probably the most important thing is to one, you know, I'm, I'm just such a big, I always say this, such a big nerd about research because... I mean, that's where the passion comes from. Uh, you you want to know how your city government works. Uh, a couple months ago, for the first time in my life, although I've grown up in San Antonio, I started to look at, at local government. I wanted to see who was, uh, who are the officials for my precinct. What precinct do I exist in um, of this county? Um, who are these officials? What is their background? And, and upon learning about them, 
uh, people who I kind of thought were meaningless names that I drove past and large, you know, large signs saying vote for me. I just drove past them uh, thinking that was above me. I'm realizing that they have a heavy influence on a lot of things that I feel very passionate about. You know, having that park built in my neighborhood can be done uh, with my with my vote, with with me using my word with my family and their friends and my friends and their family. Spreading that awareness could conjure up the votes to have a person or maybe put pressure on that individual to focus on this as an area. While a lot of bad things are somewhat highlighted during times like this, I think collectivism is probably the most beautiful thing that we're seeing out of all of this. And just the power in that, how much better it feels. Yeah. Well, I, I think, um, you know, the, the last question that I have is I'm just curious, um, what would you say to listeners who maybe need to hear a word of encouragement right now? Yeah. I'd just say that while we can focus on the destructive efforts um, of this sort of outrage that a lot of people of color, and frankly, as you can see in these protests, a lot of white people are absolutely enraged by systemic oppression. Um, I would say that that rage, when it's channeled properly and not let out in a destructive manner, that that rage is probably the most important part we have about collectivism, because finding that common ground is typically emotional. It's typically emotional common ground. And I, I just want to urge those people who know that something is wrong to kind of challenge themselves to feel something emotional about it. You have to emotionally understand people. Um, you, you, you have to take those things that you know are wrong, and if you can't feel emotions about things that you know are wrong, you, you need to challenge yourself to make yourself feel passionate about those things. Because all of us can agree that seeing something terrible or seeing something tragic, it, it, it fills us with something. There, there is something, you know, if I take America, for example, 9-11 was a tragedy across the board. Everybody was really sad about that here in America. And a lot of us still feel sad about that. And that was about 20 years ago. Take that passion and that feeling that you have for that and, and channel that into this because this is a tragedy that's taken definitely more lives. Uh, and not to compare the two tragedies, but this is that. This is, this is the level of that. This is that sort of crisis. Um, it didn't happen all at once. In some cases, it absolutely has happened all at once to black people. This is a tragedy, and this is something that's going to keep occurring because as we're protesting, innocent people, unarmed people who are not looters and rioters are dead today in the wake of protesting police violence. I think, that's, that's my, I think that's my plea, is to make yourself feel emotions if you just can't. You know, if you just can't put yourself there, you, you have to start asking yourself, why? Why do I feel so passionately about, you know, the people who died in 9-11 and not this? Because this is just as tragic. This is just as unfair. This is just as pointless. Because a lot of the people who have died they didn't do anything to that police officer, you know? They, it's just, it's not their problem and they've suffered the ultimate sacrifice for it. You know, George Floyd never started a form of race war or anything like that and I'm sure he never wanted to be, a, in a sense, a martyr. I'm sure he'd rather have his life. It's the humanity in things. We'd like to thank the dedicated individuals who've been putting themselves in harm's way day in and day out during this crisis to speak out against racism in America. 
To learn more about Salute America's work in addressing racial bias and systemic injustice, visit this episode's webpage at salute.to slash salute talks. Salute Talks is produced by Tanoch Astakotl, Josh McCormick, and the media team at Salute America. It is executive produced by Dr. Amelie Ramirez. The music heard on this podcast is produced by Bonus Points. Find Salute America online at salute-america.org. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and other social platforms at Salute America. Watch our award-winning videos on YouTube by visiting salute.to slash video. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen. Thanks for listening, and as always, we hope you enjoyed.